0: We're starting uh, another series of actually another section of the journey this morning and um, we're calling it the rules of the road uh, and it centers upon the ten Commandments um, that we'll be going through uh, we're, we're going to use the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20 so um, that's that's going to be our text for the next ten weeks obviously um, but This definitely helps us understand a little bit more sort of that idea that we want to grab for us. This tells us, these signs tell us how to drive. These signs tell us where to go, what not to do, but also what to do. And that's what I want to focus on um, over the course of this 10 weeks is that we are not just told in the commandments what not to do and where not to go. We are also told um, as we think and ponder and wonder about what God is telling us about what to do and where to go, and how to do it. We're going to spend time this morning in Exodus 20, as I said. I'm going to read all 10 commandments, the entire text of that particular portion of Scripture. I want to highlight um, this morning the first command and the introduction to it um, in verses 1 through 3. And as we get ready to spend time in God's Word together, let's pray for His blessing and for His presence. Gracious God, you call us to worship you above any other God or thing, idea, experience. And we pray, God, that that idea of worshiping you alone can continue to permeate us and soak into the depths of us that we want nothing else else except to pursue you, to love you, to follow you. Father, in your word, you make it clear that that's that's really the most important thing that you command of us. And we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit and because of the work of Jesus Christ, It has redeemed us that we can be changed, that we can be moved, that we can be transformed. And some of us need to do it by degrees. Some of us need a complete turnaround. But Father, this is work that you do in us, and I ask that you do it today. Lord, may I be faithful in the proclamation that you might appear and speak in my place to us. We pray these things all in Christ. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the Father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant nor maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ten Commandments. Uh, It's interesting in our culture, if you want to get a nice little fire going in terms of our cultural dialogue, bring up the Ten Commandments in some government context and see what happens. We know that. I mean, we know that there are uh, town halls, that there are um, uh, government buildings where in the history of this country, the Ten Commandments were posted, um, sort of the understanding that these were things that this country was founded on, and so we need to have them in public buildings. Although I somewhat agree with that sentiment, I somewhat disagree with that sentiment as well. That's a long discussion that I'm not going to go into here. But um, this whole idea of the Ten Commandments is something that our culture, um, I mean, we can have dialogue about those things because they're very familiar, right? I mean, how many times will you hear um, uh, on a television show or in some sort of media, medium, medium, you shall not do something? These are things that people have heard enough. That we use even that phrase, thou shalt not, which is the King James version of, of the, the uh, Ten Commandments, are things that people are aware of. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. All those sorts of things are our people, our, our people in our culture. They, they have some familiarity of, and it's always within the context of that thou shalt not idea. Which is fair. I mean, literally, that's what the commandments are saying. In the Hebrew, a negative is very clear, and that negative is in each commandment where you see it in the text. But I really want to come about this whole 10 week series very differently than that. Because I don't think that worship of God is simply about not doing the things that God tells us not to do. If that's what behavior is for a Christian, then all we're simply doing is checking ourselves to make sure that we're not doing the things that we're supposed to not do. And to me, as I read especially the New Testament, that sounds a whole lot like the Pharisees, doesn't it? and I want more of a living, vibrant faith that asks me to be proactive in how I worship God and live out this life that He has given me in the world to show His kingdom and to be active in really proclaiming God's love. And these Ten Commandments are actually a sign of God's love to His people. Well, how do we live them out in such a way that we show them that they are not about God being this holy judge with a hammer waiting to pound his people if they do one of the thou shalt nots, how do we move that from this is a loving God saying I want my people to love me because I love them I love them so much that I sent my son and yeah that was years and years and years after the commandments were given but it still highlights how much God loves us And these commandments show us that love, so how do we live them out in such a way to be conduits of God's love to the world around us? Well, let's get in the context of the commandments first and understand a little bit more what God was doing when he gave them to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. People have come out of Egypt. They've, that's the book of Exodus. Exodus is the escape or the exit out of Egypt. That's what the entire book is sort of based upon. They get out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. Pharaoh dies in, with all of his troops in the sea. And they come to this holy mountain, Mount Sinai. It's at the south end of the Sinai Peninsula, and it is barren country, there's not a lot around and they're at this mountain, and the people are camped at the bottom, and God wants his people to understand, okay, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and now I want to tell you about how I want you to live uniquely as my people outside of this slavery that you've known for hundreds of years. I want you to know how to be a set apart, a unique people, and so Moses goes up to the mountain, and with all the lightning and the thunder and the crazy stuff that's going on, God is speaking to Moses, and he starts that whole discussion with Moses by giving him the Ten Commandments, followed by a series of other laws and decrees and other things that are important for the people. So Moses is up at the top, the people are down at the bottom, and God is telling Moses, here's what I want you to know about how I want you to be my people. Moses is leading the people of Israel through the land, through a land filled with other gods and other religions. There were people within Israel who had grown up with other gods. Egypt had exposed Israel to other gods. There was lots of possibility for God, Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God, to become part of the religious smorgasbord, and he certainly didn't want that. So he was telling Moses, here's how to stop that from happening. Here's how you know that you are following me when you do these things. And these things, although there were some elements of those commands that God gave the people which reflected similar sorts of understandings in the surrounding religions of Egypt and, and the people that Israel would come in contact with, there were distinctives there that made it clear God wanted a different sort of worship and observance. And that's important it's important that Moses and the people understood that God wanted them to be a unique people. He didn't want them to fit in. He didn't want them to be a part of. He wanted them to be a separation from. He, and he especially didn't want this people for people that he had redeemed from lives of slavery. He had done enough work through his angel who had come and killed the firstborn of all of Egypt to redeem them. It had come, the cost of redeeming God's people was blood. And he didn't want to have that price of blood in order for his people to come out and just blend in with worshiping other gods. There had to be something special there had to be something unique. And, of course, the challenge is that God's people were sucked in by this exact thing which God was speaking to Moses about. You look at Exodus 32. What do we have in Exodus 32? The story of the golden calf. And this is all happening while Moses is up at the top of Mount Sinai. God begins that discussion with Moses on the top of Mount Sinai saying, You shall have no other gods before me. And right about that time, the people are handing in their gold to Aaron so that he can melt it down in order for him, for the, the people to have a God above God that they would worship. Of course, it's necessary that God would say, we shall have no other gods before me because the compulsion on that people was simply to have direction, to have guidance. And Moses had been up on the mountain for a long time. We need guidance. We need protection. We're in Sinai and Sinai stinks. It's horrible here. We need God to take care of us and if God is having coffee time with Moses for a few days or weeks or months or however long it was, then we're certainly not going to just sit here and wait for them to get finished with their last cup before he comes and tells us what's going on. We need to be cared for. We need to be watched over. We need to have expression for for the worship that is a part of the human condition. And if it's not going to be God, then it's going to be the gold that we get from our earrings. And you can just sort of imagine Moses coming down, having heard what he did from God knowing how angry God would be, knowing the passion that God would have. The first thing that he said to Moses is, that's exactly the thing that I don't want you to do. And what happens because of the golden calf? God's wrath. More people die. This is important stuff. And it's important stuff because I would say that Most of us have golden calves in our lives. I know that I run the risk oftentimes of having a golden calf in my life. There are things that are attractive. There are things that have a pull my heart make me want to pursue them more, and especially at the cost of worshiping and serving God? It's fairly easy, in fact, to do that. It's fairly attractive in a lot of ways to do that because although our gods don't have names like Baal or we don't have Asherah poles, we have our temples They come as banks, or they come as stadiums, or we have temples that come as arts centers or as vacation spots. We have our temples, or we have our priests or priestesses who come in the form of political dogma. Or maybe they come in some sort of visceral fashion as beauty or sensuality. And those things, and they can be money more than that, there's tons of gods in our culture, they can pull and draw on us. They can be an occupation. They can be uh, our children, our families even, can be gods that we worship above God alone. If we uh, think about this, and, and, and again, mirror right here, if there is an experience that our kid has that takes us away from life within the church community, which one are we picking? The activity of our child or the activity within the church community that gives us an opportunity to worship God alone? Now, I know we need wisdom, and it's not just an automatic that church activities trump everything that we have going on in life, but I think, frankly, the problem that we have is we don't even notice that when those challenges come, it's an automatic. It's easy. It's simple to make that decision because, of course... about our kids or it's about our families or it's about the things that we want to do or it's about leisure or it's about pleasure or it's about something else that takes us away from God and as each of those things get, get its meat hooks into our lives, it becomes easier and easier and easier to follow them. The problem that we have with things like this is that the gods that we worship don't look golden and look like a calf they look like the good things of this life that we think we need to have and remember that when God saw the people worshipping the golden calf the judgment was blood, this is serious stuff challenging stuff should force us to wonder a little bit about where we take our time, our talents, our energy, look at our calendars, look at our checkbooks, all those things I've talked about before. should force us to wonder what do we worship? And that, when we think about it, is incredibly uncomfortable. What habits do you go back to again and again uh, that you like? It can even be something as simple as projects within your home. It can be a video game. It can be a website. It can be so many different things. Our challenge is even more, it's, it's greater because the other gods of this age aren't, Named with God names, but names like family, leisure, accomplishment, fun, position, and that list is very long. But those things, their danger is equal. Their danger is equal. They take us away from worshiping God. And God longs for more for his people. These things, they demand focus. They demand sacrifice. They demand time. They demand worship. And let's simply say that. Let's name it for ourselves. And I'm uncomfortable right now because I know mine. I know them. I I know those spaces. And I don't like the idea that those are not just... Uh, maybe wastes of time, or not a good use of time, or I could use my time better, but they are, in fact, sin in that I put those things above the worship of God. And I look at, then, my relationship with God, and I wonder, okay, well, well it's just God is, God is in the great, great God competition. It's like Survivor. And God is like, he's one of the participants in Survivor, and he wants my vote. And, and so I'm going to vote for him, and if I vote for him, then he's like, I got another vote, and I'm ahead of these other gods. It's not that sort of thing at all. And sometimes I think that's how we view it, or I think that's the, how the world views it. But I want us to look at it a little bit differently. Here's how I'd like to look at it, and you can see that phrase that some of you, I'm sure when you saw the outline, are wondering about. What does it mean? What if a friend of yours wanted to date a drug dealer? Here's what I'm talking about. You have a friend that you love dearly, and the metaphor is going to break down. I understand that, but there's a point that I want to make here. You have a friend who you love dearly, and this friend of yours is single, and they've longed to be married. They've, they've wanted, and it can be a male or a female. We'll just say for the sake of argument in the story that it's a a, a female, and she wants to be married. She wants to start a family. She wants to have children. She wants to have the white picket fence, the American dream. And you have known her for a long time, and you've had her in your home, you've been friends, she's a wonderful person, she's a blessing to you, and you hope and long for her to have this good relationship with a person that she can marry and spend the rest of her life with. And she says to you at the next time when you sit down to have coffee or dinner in your home, she says to you, I found a guy, and he's awesome, and I love him. I love him to death, and I can't wait to spend more time with him. And you're like, hey, who's that? And she tells you the name of this guy. And your heart immediately sinks because you know this guy too. For whatever reason, you know this guy, and you know that he has recently been arrested for dealing drugs, and it's not his first time. And you look at your friend and you say to your friend, do you know what I know? Do you know that this person is a drug dealer and is horrible for you? And that is certainly not the type of person that you are. And she says to you what almost every person in those situations say. They say, I love him and I'm going to... Change him. And you know the truth. Well, imagine that in this sort of metaphor, God is you. God knows what's best. God has perspective. God has understanding because he made us. He designed us. He put us together, knit us together According to a plan and a purpose for his kingdom and for creation. And he looks at you and I and he says to us, stop dating drug dealers. Because those things that you worship. All in some way, shape, or form are hollow and will not give you what it is that I give to you, what I call you to, what I offer to you as the ones who I created, the ones who I love, the ones who I sent Jesus to die for. I Call you, come to me, not simply because I'm in a competition with those other gods that you worship, but because truly I know what's best for you and what's best for you is to be with me and anywhere else is just walking into a drug deal. It puts a different perspective on those things that we worship, those things that pull us, the things that have their meat hooks in us, doesn't it? God looks at us and says, I give you beauty, I give you life. I give you joy. I give you abundance. I give you everything that you could ever imagine and more. I offer it all to you freely through my choice, my calling of you through the grace that I have offered you in Jesus Christ. And I call you to embrace what it is that I give you. And don't sell yourself short by going anywhere else because you'll miss all of this. You'll miss it. You don't even see it, but you'll miss it. It'll eat away at you. It'll rot you. It'll make you less than you are because I offer to you the most that you can be. God's jealousy of Israel's worship Was not just about being the victor in the great boxing match of the gods. God knows humanity because He made it. He knows what's best and He's what's best. When He says, You shall have no other gods before me, He's saying to us, Folks, here's the best. Do you want the best? I offer it to you. I offer you myself. Let's live in relationship and you will have the best of this life and the best of the life to come. And that God would start the commands with his demand for focus upon him makes sense. He's saying to us, put me first. Listen to me. Do what I say and I'll show you the best life. I made you so I know how you are supposed to live. I know what makes you tick best. I know what makes you fire on all cylinders. I know what makes things smooth. I know what makes things work for you. And as you live in worship of me, you are fulfilling the greatest potential that you might have as one of my creations. That's what he's saying to the people of Israel, and he's saying that to us too. And believe it or not, that's the little acronym that you've all been wondering what it means. This command has its fullness, believe it or not, in Jesus. There is no other way to put God first, save through Christ. He made it clear, John 14. If you're going to know the Father, you've got to know me. You're going to put God first, you've got to know me. You're going to love the Father, you've got to love me. You're going to know the Father. you got to know me. And when we think about that, for us to say that Jesus is the only way to God, that Jesus is, is the only way to have a relationship with him, of course, culture says to us, well, that's exclusive. And you're excluding so many different ideas and ways to God. And you and I have to say, you're right. But we're not doing that because we have no desire. We, we, don't have, we, we have no desire to see people come into relationship with God. We just want them to have the real relationship with God. See, I, I believe, I, I believe this. That other religions show us a sliver, a little bit, a little slice maybe of the truth of who God is. If you read uh, Islam, Islam calls Allah the creator of all things. Well, that's truth, right? In the sense that God is the creator of all things. So there's a slice of truth. We get a little shadow of the truth there. And if you look at the other religions, obviously the Jewish uh, way of thinking about things based so much on truth from the Old Testament that we have. And there are other religions out there that give us a little slice, a little bit of God's goodness and God's love. But we're saying, okay, you want that... Goodness, that little slice that you're seeing here, you want the best way to do that. Well, the only way to get the best way is through Jesus Christ. And for us to say anything else would be dishonest and we would be selling God short for who God really is. And God says, put no other gods before me. There's no other way to put any other, you know, to only have God first except through Jesus Christ. We want people, we want the world, we want ourselves to see the best, to love the best, to to have the best, and the best is to know God through Jesus Christ. If you don't know that truth, then you're missing out on the best. I'm telling you honestly, your life is half-baked. Not even half-baked. It's not even stirred yet. If you don't know Christ, then let's talk because you're missing the fullness. You're missing the greatest. You're missing what truly is the only way to live and get the fullness of who you were created to be. For us to wonder yet again, What we put before God is important work for believers because God says to us, I want the best for you, so let's move towards the best things. And it means sometimes that you and I have to say no. It means that sometimes you and I need to say, well, that may sound good for our kids or for our family, but we're going to move towards this. Why? Because this puts God first. And we want to be clear in our life as a family that we're putting God first, not just to Him, but to each other. So we're training up our children in the way they should go, though when they're old, they do not depart from it. We want to make clear to the world that, you know what, we're different. We're unique, just as God was giving his people the commands in the Sinai Desert in order to tell them you're different than everyone around them. We need to be different, which means sometimes that we need to translate different values to the world that we live in. We need to be clear about that. And the problem that we have is that we're not really clear because we got one foot in one part and one foot in God's world. One foot in the world, one foot in God's, in worshiping God alone. And over here, we're putting other things before him. Be, let's be clear. Let's move towards those things which put him first. God gives us the best way to live through our faith in Christ. Putting others, gods before him isn't just disobedience, but it also betrays our willingness to settle for a half-lived life. I'm not a half guy. You know that by now. I, I want the best. I want, I, want, I, I want to come at it with passion. I want to come at it with fullness. And the thing that drives me the most nuts is that in this particular thing, I know that I make choices regularly that move me towards a half-lived life. Come on, Elkers, But then I understand this that if I'm going to get this right, I do not get this right because Scott Elgersma is smarter than he was five minutes ago. Because Scott Elgersma can never, ever, 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 ever get that smart. I need something else to work in me to make that transformation and that change. Folks, grace says that you and I can't fix ourselves here and I'm telling you, the truth is, we can't. We need the spirit to come in and transform our desires and our movements and our choices and the things that we do and the things that we get impassioned about. We need the spirit to come in and, and, and make us new. We need the spirit to renew our passion, our first love for who God is, for who Christ is, for serving Him, for worshiping Him. As the Spirit empowers us to live a God-first life through Christ, Christ, the fullness of life grows and the result is joy that no other way of living Knows, See, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm getting hot. I don't understand why. One of the things that drives me most nuts about people within the church, and I'm not just saying here in the river, I'm saying in a larger context as well, is that you and I have the greatest potential for joy in this world that we live in, right? Do we agree with that? Tell your faces. Please. Tell your faces. You have Jesus. And Jesus gives you and I the potential to know the God who says, have no other gods before me. There's no other way to know that God except through Jesus Christ. You and I who have been called by God to accept Jesus Christ have been given that gift, the potential for the greatest joy, and yet so often, our lives do not reflect that joy to the world that we live, the world that we live in. They see us as critical. They see us as hypocritical. They see us as sour. They see us as judgmental. They see us as so many things that do not reflect the joy that we have been given in Jesus Christ. And so when we say tell your face, it means tell your life that you know the joy of living in relationship with God, not just in this life, but for all eternity, and you're going to let that joy flow out through you in such a way that the people in your world see it, see how incredible it is, see the potential what their life might be in Christ, and they begin to ask those sorts of questions. That's one of the reasons Why, last week, when I talked about having your neighborhood bounce house party, I said to you, give opportunity to hang out with your neighbors. Give opportunity for yourselves to show the love of Jesus. But don't do it. Don't you dare do it if you're going to be a crab about it. You do it. And you show joy. That you have in Christ, so that you can reflect the potential that God has for you, that He's given you through His Holy Spirit. Show the world who God is in how you live, because they certainly don't know that sort of life. That joy is compelling to a world that doesn't know. God's on display. See, you now, again, in the history of the river, we have walked through a lot of difficult stuff the last number of months. There's lots of challenges. We've had deaths. We've had a lot of people in illness. We've had a lot of things that have caused turmoil in families, a lot of diagnoses. And it's interesting to me. It's, it's constant, actually, that in those times of trial and turmoil and hurt and pain and loss and suffering, that I hear this phrase. I don't know how somebody can get through this without Jesus. Right? We hear that. It's regular. Why does it take that for us to understand? Why does it take the worst of things, a death, a diagnosis, an illness, a brokenness, a divorce, something that puts us in that place where we have nowhere else to go but be on our knees. Why does it take that for us to say, I don't know how anyone would get through this without Jesus? See, when God says, have no other gods before me, He's saying, in everything that you do, go through it with me. In everything that you and I participate in, live within, are involved with, do with our families, spend our time, our energy and our talents on, walk towards me. Love me. Follow me. Pursue me. I'll be with you. Unfortunately for us, so often it's in those spaces where the challenge is the greatest when we're reminded of that. My call to you, to myself, to us today is that don't wait for that. Don't wait for the phone call that says there's been an accident. Don't wait for the phone call or don't wait for the doctor's office that says I have your diagnosis don't wait for your child to say to you something like I'm walking away from the faith I'm dating a drug dealer I'm gay don't wait for those sorts of things to come to walk through every moment loving and worshiping God and God alone don't wait you're going to need him then, but you need, I need, we need him right now. And he says, when you and I live in that sort of relationship, we get the best. We get the best. Do you pray with me? Praise you, oh God, for calling us to yourself to worship you, to love you, to walk with you, to follow you. Because when we truly do that, Lord, we know that your promise is real, that our life comes to the full. Our life is possible. To reach its full potential. Uh, that when we worship you, we follow you, we go where you call us to go, do what it is that you call us to do. Move away from those things that distract us or move us to complacency or or, or poison us. Uh, when we move away from those things and move towards you, Father, we we gain. We gain power and joy and life and abundance. And Father, may that be the desire of our hearts that we follow you through Jesus Christ because of the work that he, done to re- that he has done in order to redeem us on the cross, that we continue to move towards you through the power of the Spirit because of work that you're doing in us. Father, we pray all of these things, not in our own strength or ability or capacity, but in the name of Jesus. Amen.